Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He came to Derb and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Welcome to Acts. Christ's ministry continues our verse-by-verse journey through this amazing book known as the fifth gospel, or as Elder Greg likes to say, the adventures of Dr. Luke. It picks up where Jesus ascends to heaven and sends back the Holy Spirit and the church is born in chapter 2 and continues through the early years of the church's existence, which begins with the Jews finding Christ as their Messiah by the multitudes and spreads out from Jerusalem into Samaria and into Gentile territory and Gentiles become believers. And our story finds us in chapter 15 where Gentile believers had been troubled by some Jewish brothers, self-appointed brothers thinking they were serving the purposes of God from the church in Jerusalem, going up to visit them and taking away their joy of salvation by telling them they had to keep the law of Moses. And this was a joy robber. This meant a kosher kitchen. This meant circumcision for men. This meant 613 commands. We've got some copies of these out there in the foyer on the round table, as well as a copy of Luther's 95 Thesis if you want to pick it up before you leave today. And so the church was concerned, especially the, the main, one of the main churches for Gentiles in Antioch of Syria. They had sent Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey to Cyprus, and then from there they went up into the part of the world now known as Turkey, known then as Galatia, where they planted several churches. They would go into a community and preach the gospel in the synagogue, 
and lead Jews to faith in Jesus as their Messiah, as well as Jew-friendly Gentiles. Notice the church started without any anti-Semitic Gentiles in the church. And so this was disturbing because uh, you're a Gentile believer and suddenly you get bad news where you're not really saved. You've got to be circumcised. Ouch, that's a painful thing for a man. And you've got to keep all these laws of which Paul said in Colossians 2 had been nailed to the cross. So it was messing with the new covenant. And so they met with the church as to what to do about this issue. And uh, the church sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, to the home church of these troublemakers. And they heard testimonies in chapter 15 as to what God was doing amongst the Gentiles. And then they met in private with just the leadership and Paul and Barnabas from the church in the Antioch and made a determination that they would ask Gentile believers to just do four things. Abstain from strangled meats, from eating or drinking blood, from eating things offered to idols, as well as from sexual immorality. You do these things, you'll do well. Now, that, that's not all that Christians live by. We live by the commands of Christ. We can read what Jesus had to say about how to live in the Gospels. But in addition to that, in light of the law, these are four things. You do these. These are very important. If you don't, you're very repulsive to Jews, and it will hinder cultural fellowship within the churches. And so they wrote a letter. And so we find here in verse 22 that they had appointed two men to go back with Paul and Barnabas. Judas, who's also known Barsabas, or the son of, Barsabas, of Sabas, and Silas, which in Hebrew is Shaul. So his name was Saul too. In Aramaic, Silas, or Greek is Silvanus. Leading men among, among the brethren. And they sent them this letter saying, hey, we didn't send these people to you. They did this on their own. We're sorry about that. But here's four things that we ask that you abide by. Very good news. Um, abide by these four things, you do well. And so they were sent off in verse 30. They came to Antioch, which is a 400-mile journey from Jerusalem. And when they gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter from the apostolic leaders in Jerusalem. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Isn't that awesome? You know, you may not be troubled by someone attempting to Judaize you, but there are legalists in the land. If you really want to be saved, you won't go to the movies. If you really want to be saved, you won't shave your beard. Or if you really want to be saved, you won't grow a beard. Or if you really want to be saved, you won't go roller skating. I was raised in churches like this. Just joy robbers, you know, kind of like bait and switch. Oh, you want to get saved? Here's what you got to do. So you do that. Well, you're not saved yet. You got to do this kind of bait and switch. Just stealing the joy of salvation that comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ by grace. So they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. So having guest speakers is a tradition. We're not out of line. Verse 33. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. All right, go back, tell them how much we appreciate it. However, it seemed good to Shaul or Silas to remain there. So oh, I'm not going to go back. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to preach some more. Paul and Barnabas also remain in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now, 
in today's reductionism in our 24-7 culture, our lives are so full, it is easy to squeeze out the Word of God. Where you only hear preaching when you come to church, or you only come to church when you feel like it. And the Word of God is our bread. It's our life. The Spirit is our, is our water. He's our, he's our oxygen, but we need to give Him material to work with. So this is important. So there's a whole lot of preaching going on in this church in Antioch. Verse 36, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we had preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Let's go back to Turkey, Galatia. Let's go back to those places where we planted churches and encourage them, see how they're doing. Take this letter with us. Verse 37, now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. This was his nephew. This was someone that they had taken with them on their first trip. And they wound up being disappointed by John Mark. He wanted to go back home to his mama. Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. In other words... He doesn't even know these people. This guy's a quitter. Let's not do it. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who took Paul under his wing when nobody wanted anything to do with him, was determined to give his nephew the same treatment. You know, Paul, at least he didn't kill anybody. You know, who knows, who knows how ugly this conversation went, but they, they split up. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. So they headed the direction of the first trip by ship. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of God. So the church put their blessing on these guys. And he went through Syria and Cilicia. So he goes north and west by land. Now he's from Cilicia. Tarsus is there. So he knows people along the way. And they take there, take the letter with them, and they're strengthening the churches. So good things are happening. It's just now two teams instead of one. Verse 1 of chapter 16, then he came to Derbe and Lystra, that was two of the towns where he and Barnabas had planted churches, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, that's another church that they had planted. Paul wanted to have him go with him. Now, that seems like an incidental statement, but it helps make the rest of the verse make sense. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. What? I'm confused, Paul. You have the letters. You have the four things. What are you doing making a guy get circumcised? Well, technically, Timothy was an uncircumcised Jew. And his influence with Jewish people would not be well received if he was not fully Jewish. They knew his dad wasn't Jewish, but they knew his mother was. Now, why is this significant? Well, in Jewish culture for centuries, even before Jesus came, it was determined, a person's Jewishness was determined by who their mother was. Maybe the father... Uh, was killed, or maybe he ran off. So who, who, whose kids are these anyway? Well, what is their mother? She's Jewish. Well, then they're Jewish, which is a beautiful thing because 
It was preparing the way for the Messiah to come who would be born of a virgin, a Jewish mama whose father was God. So Jesus is Jewish according to Jewish custom and law. And so here, Paul's wanting to include him in taking the gospel to the Jew first. Being a Gentile would not be a big deal. In fact, according to Galatians 2, they took Titus, a Gentile, with them to Jerusalem on this trip in Acts 15, and nobody made a big deal out of Titus needing to be circumcised. He didn't. But here in Timothy's case, hey, Timothy, you're, you're Jewish. Let's take advantage of this situation and go through this process. Does that make sense? Some of you are looking like, is that a new gate? They knew his father was Greek, they knew his mother was Jewish, but they also knew for some reason how they knew, I don't know, he wasn't circumcised. So, um, They knew he, well, circumcised, all right, I'll tell you how they knew. <laughs> Circumcision in Jewish custom was a public service. It was a special, kind of like a baby dedication, it was a special ceremony, not that, not by, not that everybody's eyeballing the kid's body parts, but there's certain verses that are read and prayers that are prayed and so this thing was done publicly so that it would be known throughout the community hey this guy let's listen to him he's one of us maybe he would have influence on someone that paul wouldn't have influence on all right verse four <laughs> and as they went through the cities they delivered to them the decrees to keep that is this letter which were determined by the apostles and elders at jerusalem so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would have an impact on our lives, that we would grow in our understanding and in our walk of seeing your ministry continued through us in Jesus' name. Lord, let us be the Acts 29 generation. Let us be the sixth gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I want to look at verse 36 that last paragraph of Acts 15. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp, some theologians think they almost came to blows. It was a serious argument that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So who was wrong and who was right? Well, the bottom line, is what fruit came out of this. Sometimes when you don't know about an issue, you've got to wait on the fruit. And if good fruit comes out of it, either it was all God's will all along or God took a bad situation and made something beautiful. I know he's done that with my life. Who knows that? He can do that. So I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, when division is good. Can we say that? Now, in church life, it's normal to view division as being bad. When a church splits, it's so painful. It's horrible. As a pastor, I never want something like that to happen. But God can even bring good out of that. 
But sometimes it can be good or it can become good. Sometimes a painful thing can become a good thing. You know, if your finger is out of joint, how does the doctor put it back in joint? He pulls it further out of joint to pop it back in joint. Sometimes separation is a good thing. If you've got a disease that's contagious, quarantine is a good thing to keep it from spreading, right? If uh, you've got gangrene in your foot, there needs to be a separation or you're going to die. So separation is not always bad, even though it can be painful. Let me read you a little story that I wrote um, called Good Thing, Bad Thing. Imagine two rednecks having a conversation. We once had our own house in town here. That's good. No, it's bad. Our house burned down. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. It was too dilapidated to repair. That's good. No, that's bad. Our insurance didn't pay enough to replace it. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. Goober. We always wanted to move anyway, so we sold a lot and moved to Alaska. That's good, Gomer. No, Goober, that's bad. We almost froze to death up there. <laughs> oh, that's bad. No, it's good. We needed to learn that Texas is our, is our home. That's good. No, it's bad. It gets way too hot down here at home. That's bad. No, it's good. At least our Yankee relatives won't come here to spend their whole summer vacations. <laughs> That's good. No, it's bad. Our Yankee relatives never come visit us. That's bad. How do you know? Have you met my relatives? <laughs> Story over. Somebody said, That's good. <laughs> what if you were a bellman at an expensive hotel? That would be a good thing. Wouldn't it? Say, that's good. No, it's bad. It's 1922, and it's in Tokyo, Japan. That's bad. No, it's good. You get to serve a very famous guest by delivering a message to him named Albert Einstein. No, that's bad. He didn't have any money on him to tip you. No, that's good. He gave him a note, his theory or his formula for happiness. No, it's bad. He wrote it in German. <laughs> That's the notes right up there. The one on hotel stationery was his formula for happiness. He wrote, a calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. A calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. Reminds me of what Paul wrote somewhere that said, I've learned in every state to yeah. be content. On the plain sheet of paper, he wrote, where there's a will, there's a way. He signed both of them. Albert Einstein, 1922, Tokyo. Like, here's a tip for you. Don't do this. I used to work for chips. People are not impressed with tracks. Um. 
By all means, don't put a penny on top of a track. Don't do that. That's another sermon. I need to move right along. So this was a bad... Yeah, that's good. This was a bad thing, right? But here we are, 95 years later. This man's estate has these two notes. And the person in possession of them lives in Hamburg, Germany. And he had them validated as being the real deal. On October 24th, less than two weeks ago, the note on plain paper, where there's a will, there's a way, sold at an auction in Jerusalem for $250,000. No, it's bad. The note on the left written on hostel stationery that says a calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combines with constant restlessness sold for $1.56 million. Now that's good. <laughs> now contrary to what the note says, the people that receive this money are very happy. No, 95 years later he didn't last. It was his nephew who watched the estate. When division is good, what a strange subject. Here's a historic picture for you. To us, this is a good thing. It's a unifying thing. It's not division. We're unifying. They're signing the Declaration of Independence. The clue is the word independence. They're separating themselves from England. So from the English perspective, this was a horrible act of division. They're splitting the empire. How dare they? All on your perspective. But what's the fruit of it? What's come out of it? A lot of pain. But I think good things are happening now. We're, we're allies with England. Division is always bad, though, whenever it is caused by strife. You've got to look at what causes division. When it's caused by strife, it's not good. Proverbs 16, 28, A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. you got to watch out for these people that tell you what other people are saying about you. These helpful people. You know, let me tell you, everybody doesn't love you. Listen to what so-and-so said about you. Oh, but don't tell them I told you. That is sowing discord big time. I don't have to know everything somebody's saying bad about me right? If you have to believe that everybody loves you, you're going to be very disappointed because everybody's not going to love you. Division is always bad whenever it is caused by gossip. He who covers a transgression seeks love, Proverbs 17, 9, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. When someone does wrong, you don't have to tell the whole world. If you love that person, you will not spread it. Now, that's not a cover-up. You're not going to lie, but you don't have to get on the housetop and be the one blabbing to the world. If you love someone, you will confront them in their error, but not tell everybody. Sometimes there's news spreading about something that's already been reconciled. Did you hear so-and-so had a fight and it's already, they've already made up? You know, the kids are in the backyard playing and the mamas are still mad. He who repeats a matter separates friends. All this repeating stuff, everybody puts their spin on it. You say, I would never tell a lie, but if you repeated something that somebody told you and you never checked it out, guess what? 
You have told some lies. Division is always bad when it's caused by divorce. Uh, what God has joined together, Jesus said, Matthew 19, 6, let not man separate. Now, God loves divorcees, but he hates divorce. It, he says it covers a man's clothes with violence, Malachi says. Also says it does a number on the faith of the children. They get mad at God in this situation because their hearts are broken. Who can they blame for the situation? They love their mom and dad. It must be God's fault for not hearing my prayers. So God hates divorce. It's bad. There's nothing good about it. But God can restore our lives. Division is always bad whenever it is caused by troublemakers. Paul said in Romans 16, 17, note those who cause divisions and offenses. Division is always bad whenever it is caused by carnality. Well, I'm just human. Well, you're defending your carnality. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, 1 Corinthians 13, 3, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? I'm just human. I thought we were the sons and daughters of the Most High God. I thought we were to have our minds renewed. These are things to repent of, not to defend. Division is always bad when it is caused by sensuality. Dear friends, Jude, the brother of Jesus wrote, 17th verse. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, quote, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires, unquote. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Sensual people that live by their feelings will sow discord because they feel like it's right to spread bad news that everybody needs to know about so-and-so's faults. Vision is bad. But good can come out of it. When cells divide, I guess they could divide when they die, but when they divide, they multiply. This is, this is part of life. Division is good when it leads to unity. Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. That's division, right? I'm leaving and I'm cleaving and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. If you refuse to leave mama's house and she's still the alpha woman in your life, you cannot be one flesh with your wife. You got to put mama in her place. Listen, mama, I'm a grown man and here's my pajamas. I now have a new alpha woman in my life. And don't get your feelings hurt. I know it's painful. Oh, it's division. God's breaking up our family. No, he's not. He's growing your family. Just hold on to your horses. Division can become good when it removes unfruitfulness. And talking about the vine, Jesus said, he's the vine and we're the branches. He said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. He divides the branch to get rid of unfruitful branches. It's just sapping the life out of the tree, out of the vine. Division can become good when it increases fruitfulness. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I don't have a vine in my yard, but my dad has a pear tree in his, and when it's full of fruit, the branches are breaking. 
just hundreds of pears loading that thing down. That's awesome. Branches sitting on the ground. It needs to be pruned bad so that it can bear more fruit for more years to come. So pruning, as painful as it is, is important. This is good division. Division can become good when it reveals who is genuine. In 1 Corinthians 11, 18 and 19, Paul wrote, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Bad. No, it's a good thing. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. There's nothing like division to hit a church to show who the leaders really are. As painful as it is to go through that, you see what people are made of when they're when there's a problem happening in relationships. Do you not? And then you can recognize leaders. Now, why would Paul feel like this? Well, he would go somewhere and establish a church and leave them without any leaders. We saw it in Acts 14. Then we'd go back a year or so later and raise up leaders. How could he do that? Well, no doubt there had been divisions and whoever was used to help bring reconciliation to the hurting relationships, wherever there's people, you're going to have squabbles, right? It would become obvious who the leaders are and the people would know it too. Division can become good when it separates from evil. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Jesus one day said that the Father will divide or separate the sheep from the goats. He himself said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, to divide wickedness from righteousness, to show us how to live. So division's not always bad. Division can become good when it avoids divisive influences. Titus 3.9. But avoid foolish disputes and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law for they are unprofitable and useless. And I have to say this, there are some things that our culture is fighting over right now that is not worth getting involved in. Well, I want to make a difference. Will you make a difference fighting with people and alienating folks over issues that don't mean anything in light of eternity? I'm not saying everything people are fighting over isn't important, but I'm saying letting your voice be heard on every issue will cause people to not listen to you, who need to listen to you because you know Jesus. So keep the main thing the main thing and avoid divisive stuff. Division can become good when it rejects divisive influencers. Verse 10 says, Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning. In 26 years of serving this congregation, I've had to ask someone to leave and not come back. And then I had to ask them to not set foot on our property. Because the division, kiss up to one person, disrespect another person, and try to divide them. When confronted, there was no genuine repentance. After the fourth admonition, should have did it sooner, we had to make the ruling. Don't, just don't. 
So I've gotten a couple letters from them how much of a legalist I am. Well, I wear that hat proudly. I am a legalist when it comes to division. If you want to be blessed, don't try to divide God's people. That kind of mischief isn't good for you. Now, if I see him on the street, I'm not going to diss him. I'm not going to shun him. I will love him, but I will continue to remind him of Titus 3.10. He has it on a paper already. Division can become good when it becomes reconciled, which is what happened with Paul and Barnabas and Mark. In his letter to the church in Colossae, chapter 4, verse 10, Paul said, My fellow prisoner greets you with Mark, the cousin not the nephew, I was wrong. He's Peter's nephew, but Barnabas' cousin. The cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Boy, Paul changed his tune, didn't he? To Timothy, this young man that he circumcised, in his second letter to him, chapter 4, verse 11, he said, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Not only was he useful for ministry, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. Peter helped him. So we're blessed by Barnabas' ministry of encouragement, by Paul's ministry and Mark's ministry. So when it comes to division, obviously do not be divisive. But if you're making a stand for what is right, do it in love. And if it means parting ways, I call it making room for Jesus in a relationship. We're not cutting people off permanently for the rest of our lives. We're just making room for Jesus. You're not going to do damage in my home or damage in our church or damage in my life. This is the truth. You need to know it. You need to stop what you're doing. It's not going to be good for you. And let Jesus handle the situation. Otherwise, you could become just like the person you're at odds with. When division is good. 500 years ago, last Tuesday, a man named Martin Luther nailed 95 theses, things that he proposed the church needed to address and change, 95 things he was protesting that was going on in the Catholic Church. And it's declared that that's when the Reformation was born. Now, I, I would suggest it probably wouldn't have begun then were it not for the printing press because it's just a church door in Wittenberg. How did it have impact on the Roman Catholic Empire? It had an impact because of the printing press. These 95 things were spread throughout the empire. And this was his introduction. I'm not going to read all 95 to you, but you can get a copy. They're up here on this uh, platform as well as at the round table out in the foyer. He said, out of love for the truth and from desire to elucidate it, the Reverend Father Martin Luther, he was a Catholic priest and a monk, master of arts and sacred theology, an educated man, an ordinary lecturer therein at Wittenberg, Germany, intends to defend the following statements and dispute on them in that place. Therefore, he asked that those who cannot be present and dispute with him orally should do so in their absence by letter. So he knew copies were being made. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. I would just like to read you a few of them. Right out of the chute, he gets people in trouble with the first, he gets himself in trouble with the authorities in power at that time with uh, his opening two theses. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, 
he will the entire life of believers be one of repentance. This word cannot be understood as referring to the sacrament of penance, that is, confession and satisfaction as administered by the clergy. So he's dissing the confession and penance deal, you know? You got to live a life of repentance. Number 26, he basically says the Pope does not have the, pe- the keys of the kingdom that Peter was given. He doesn't have them, and he doesn't have the power of them. Well, this is fighting words for the Pope. They preach only human doctrines who say that as soon as the money clinks in the chest, the soul flies out of purgatory. It is certain that when money clinks in the chest, greed and avarice can be increased. But when the church intercedes, the result is in God's hands alone. Those who believe that they can be certain of their salvation because they have indulgence letters from the Pope will be eternally damned together with their teachers. Number 45, Christians are to be taught that he who sees a needy man and passes him by yet gives his money for indulgences, that is to keep himself out of purgatory, does not buy papal indulgences, but God's wrath. Now, this one hurts. This one comes close to home even now in our day. Now, the selling of indulgences was you, you give money in the offering plate, we give you this letter, give you this blessing, to get your relative out of purgatory, to, to get your sins forgiven with this money. This applies to today. It was fundraising. Number 54, injury is done to the word of God when in the same sermon an equal or larger amount of time is devoted to indulgences than to the word. Now let me bring it home to you. Injury is done to the Word of God when in the same sermon an equal or larger amount of time is devoted to fundraising than it is to the Word of God. Yep. I was channel surfing early today. I woke up really early for some reason. (laughs) No, actually it was yesterday. And there was a dude on there saying, if you need money, don't pray for it because it doesn't do any good. You got to sow a seed if you need money. It's this kind of thing ridiculous number 90 to repress these very sharp arguments of the laity by force alone and not to resolve them by giving reasons is to expose the church and the pulp to the ridicule of their enemies and to make Christians unhappy (laughs) division taking a stand for righteousness against unrighteousness that had been allowed to take place While this was painful for the Catholic Church, it was good for the Catholic Church because years later there was a counter-reformation where they corrected a lot of the errors that was happening. But out of this came all kinds of change. The music in the church changed. You'd hate the music if if we just sang dirges all the time. He would take the tunes of songs sung in taverns like, A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. That tune came out of the bars, you know. I love cold beer in my stein. I'm just using my imagination here. I better stop. (laughs) 
want to focus on the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. His flesh was divided. His skin split. His blood shed. And through his wounds and bruisings and stripes, we are made whole and we are forgiven. Through his dividing, we are reconciled. In Mark 15, 34, he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, in Aramaic, which translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his pain for the sins of mankind, in his redeeming work of sinners like you and I, he, if but for a moment, became separated from his Father to take fully upon himself our sin. He became sin that separates us from God. He became it, yet he did not sin. That's incredible position. And in John 19.26, he tells John, Behold your mother. And he tells his mother, Behold your son. And at that instant, John, that hour, John took her home with him. So he's divided from his father and from his mother to pay for the sins of mankind. That's incredible division. Yet good came out of it. No wonder he's able to take all things together in our lives and make them work out for good so that we are conformed to the image. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in pain because of division. I pray that their faith would be rekindled from your word, that they would know that you are going to get all the glory in all things, that you're able to take bad things and make good to come out of them. Thank you, Jesus. The song says old things have passed away, but your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains our cornerstone. Things that we thought were dead, you breathe life into them again. You cause your sun to shine in darkest night. All things have